0: As a new school year looms, Florida grapples with
1: a worsening teacher shortage. Some school districts are trying out novel approaches to find
2: teachers.
3: Things are not getting better, they're getting more difficult. And so we're going to have to look at innovative ways to make sure that there is a certified teacher in front of every classroom.
0: This is the Florida Roundup from WLRN Public Media in Miami and WJCT Public Media in Jacksonville. I'm Danny
1: Rivero. And I'm Matthew Petty. Ahead this hour, we look at the causes behind these shortages and what can be done to address them. Plus, a change to state standards makes room for conservative teaching techs. And later, who's taking advantage of Florida's universal school choice and how will it impact public school funding? You can join the conversation at 305-995-1800 on the Florida Roundup with your phone calls after the news. Welcome to the Florida Roundup. I'm Danny Rivero in Miami. And I'm Matthew Petty in Tampa. Next week, many children will head back to classrooms across Florida. Meanwhile, school districts across the state are still trying to fill vacancies. In Leon County, there's an estimated 80 openings for teachers.
0: The school district there has partnered up with Tallahassee Community College to offer high
1: schoolers who want to become teachers a chance to earn a college credit. And in the Keys, the teacher shortage has gotten so bad that the school district plans to hire virtual teachers for the upcoming school year.
3: That is not the most desirable form, but it is a way of getting a certified teacher working with students and we're going to pilot it and see how effective it is. Things are not getting better, they're getting more difficult. And so we're going to have to look at innovative ways to make sure that there is a certified teacher in front of every classroom. We lost a teacher today because she can't find a place to live.
1: And that's Monroe County School Superintendent, Teresa Axford. As of Tuesday, the county had 28 teacher vacancies.
0: Most of the U.S. is dealing with a teacher shortage in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, but Florida has one of the worst teacher shortages in the nation. And some say it's in part due to the recent education policies and an increasingly hostile climate for teachers. Joining us now to discuss all of this, we welcome WLRN's education reporter, Kate Payne, And also welcoming Jeff Solacek, who covers education for the Tampa Bay Times. Kate, Jeff, thanks for coming on.
4: Thanks for having us.
5: Thank you.
0: And we want to hear from you listeners. Are you a current or a former teacher? Maybe you've recently decided to leave the profession. You thinking of getting in? Give us a call to talk about it at 305-995-1800. Or send us a tweet at Florida Roundup. Kate, let, let's start with you. Um, Monroe County, as we heard, is taking step, taking the step to start zooming teachers into the classrooms because they simply don't have enough teachers who live in the Florida Keys. How is this going to work?
4: yeah so again the the superintendent Teresa axert announced this plan this week to work with a company called elevate k12 they haven't signed that contract yet but the idea is um, to, to hire these remote teachers uh, from wherever in the country um, to work in critical shortage areas like biology, chemistry, and environmental science. And then there will be a teacher's aid physically in the classroom with kids um, to to help manage the classroom while the, the certified teacher is, is on Zoom from wherever.
0: So the certified teacher would be remote, but there'd be mm-hmm. someone in the class, I imagine, th- the teacher's aid would deal with disciplinary things, which you requires a physical presence, I guess, right?
4: I would imagine. yeah. um it's it's hard to picture. I, I don't know of any other district, certainly in the state that's taken this step, um, but it's it definitely seems like a a new level, a new sign of of how dire this shortage has become.
0: and there's challenges for. Recruiting and keeping teachers that are pretty unique to the Florida Keys. Can you you tell us a little bit about that?
4: Yeah, so we've talked about these trends that are affecting districts across the country as far as the low pay um, the the political pressure that many teachers are under but the dynamics are particularly acute in South Florida and especially in the Keys because of this ongoing affordable housing crisis so development in the Keys is strictly limited because of rules around hurricane evacuations. Um so, you know, the idea being if there are too many people living in too many homes, residents won't have enough time to drive up that one road going in and out of the islands. Um so new construction is tightly limited. Um and, and that's the big restriction. Uh you know, Superintendent Axford has said it's, it's a constant struggle, um, you know, sometimes it seems like on a daily basis of offering um, a job to a teacher, they're committed, they're ready to go, and they cannot find a place to live. And they rescind the offer.
0: In Broward County, school board some school board members want to boost teacher pay into the six figures mm-hmm. in order to retain and, re- and recruit teachers. The idea was voted down just barely voted down. Um, What was the thinking behind that? I mean, that would be a significant pay raise for a lot of educators.
4: Sure, yeah. And and the hope is that, you know... Uh, a hundred thousand dollars in total compensation would be a tipping point for teachers to stay in the district um and you know we've heard from a string of teachers coming to Broward County School Board meetings lately talking about the extra jobs they've had to take on to cover their bills you know saying they cannot afford to buy a house in the community that they can't afford to retire Um, and so this uh can
0: can sure. Broward County afford that? I mean, if they were to pass it,
4: so that's the question. Um, the proposal that this one school board member, Alan Seaman, put forward, you know, the rest of the school board really couldn't stomach the budget cuts that he was proposing to make up for that money to fund these pay raises, and that was the sticking point for them. Um, but the board is very much still looking into this. The superintendent will be. Um, coming up with, with his own proposal over the coming months, and they plan to circle back in January.
0: School districts from the Panhandle to the Keys are struggling to fill staffing vacancies, as we've been talking about. St. John's County, just south of Jacksonville, had 285 teacher vacancies as of yesterday, on Thursday. That's after a record number of resignations took place at the end of the last school year. Michelle Dillon is the president of the St. John's Education Association, the teachers union for the county. Let's listen to her.
6: So when you start the school year with a vacancy, it is a, a trickle down effect. Uh, you might have a sub, we're so grateful for our substitutes, but. We never know if that substitute is going to stick around. Sometimes the students are divided into other classrooms. Sometimes they get sat in the auditorium or a gym with somebody watching over them. That's not the way anybody wants to start the school year. It's, it's a challenge and frankly can become a burden on everyone from custodians up to the principal.
0: So Dylan says teachers are resigning because the pay doesn't match the cost of living and they're either moving to other districts with for better pay or they're just leaving altogether. Mm-hmm. And she said part of why we're seeing this right now is because of different state policies that that affect conditions and um the ability to teach certain subjects in the classroom Mm -hmm. um kate what are are you hearing about resignations and how you know how school districts are dealing with this because a lot of this is coming down from the state
4: sure you know i speaking to a, a principal the other day you know she said she has never seen the level of teacher vacancies um, in over a decade as a principal um, and you know I think teachers have always known what the pay is that it's not going to match um, you know the value that they're bringing to the community but for so many of them it's these other political pressures um, you know the fear of, of retaliation if, if something they say or teach is taken out of context. Um, you know scrutinizing their books their lesson plans for many of them that is too much. It's too much to bear, um, and so districts are looking at a number of different angles. You know, some districts are, are hiring teachers from overseas. Um, Broward is bringing in about 150 new teachers from the Philippines. That's on top of about 100 who are hired last year. Palm Beach is is in a similar position. Um, you know, districts are working with community colleges, trying to build out the pipeline of, of new teachers. Um, and, and others are, you know, relaxing standards as far as, you know, the keys, again, uh, on their hiring website says, you know, not certified, no problem, we'll help get you there. Um, so they're trying to look at this at, at all angles.
1: Well, three o five nine nine five. 1800 just some indication there from our reporter Kate Payne and WLRN of the struggles that the districts are going through we want to hear from you as well maybe you're a teacher heading into this new school year maybe you're a parent what are your thoughts are you worried about whether your kid is going to have a teacher in front of their classroom maybe there's some other solutions that they're looking into give us a call 305-995-1800 Jeff Solacek, uh, education reporter of the Tampa Bay Times. One piece of controversial legislation that got passed this year does threaten the survival of teachers' unions. Expanding on a law that passed in twenty eighteen, I wonder if you have a sense of how that could impact attempts to fill teacher shortages going forward.
5: Well, honestly, the teacher unions are not the teachers themselves, and while they are having the ability to negotiate contracts, and without teacher unions, you would wind up with basically no collective bargaining per se, but finding teachers is pretty much separate from that. Uh, Teachers don't come to a district because they have a teacher's union or because they don't in most instances, they're looking to become teachers and looking for these other factors, housing, uh, affordability, uh, good pay, good jobs, Mm -hmm. things like that. I don't really see the, the union legislation impacting teacher recruitment in that way.
1: What are you hearing from school districts in the Tampa Bay region about staff shortages? Because we've gotten a sense just uh, in the last minute or so, a few minutes rather, about what's happening in South Florida and and further north. But what about in the Tampa Bay region?
5: Well, Hillsborough County, which is the biggest county in the area, has the biggest problems, as you might expect. They have, Mm -hmm. last we heard, somewhere in the 800 to 1000 teacher vacancy range, where some of the other districts, Pasco and Pinellas in particular, are in the lower ranges, is 100 to 200 and and they're saying that they're seeing in those two districts uh, it's becoming easier for them to find teachers than it was last year not to say that it's perfect and you know the numbers fluctuate all the time but it's better than it was last year at this time one of the differences between pasco and pinellas and hillsborough is that those two districts have a local option property tax which mm-hmm. voters approved and that money is going largely to give teachers raises, and Hillsboro does not have that.
1: Right. Um, let's get a call in here. We've got George calling in from Davenport. George, you're on the air.
2: Hi, uh, yes. Uh, so my son's charter school, and, and I'm in Polk County. Mm-hmm. can't find a, a physics teacher and a calculus teacher, pre-calc teacher.
1: And what are you hearing from the school? What's the Plan to fill that gap while they look for teachers for those subjects. Because George, his
2: schedule, because his schedule isn't uh, isn't made out for his electives yet. He still doesn't know what his classes are for his electives. And mm-hmm. it's because they don't have enough teachers, they don't know. I don't know what's going to happen.
1: Right, uh, George. Thanks so much for your call. Um, indication there of a little bit of kind of stress going into the start of the year. Uh, Jeff, what about that? I mean, are, are you hearing about specific subjects that are particularly hard to find teachers for in the counties that you cover?
5: Every year it's usually the same types of classes that they have trouble finding, the, the math, the science courses like that. They also have trouble finding sometimes English teachers. It's across the board, and it also really depends on the school itself. There are some schools that are fully staffed and ready to go, whereas others are struggling to fill all their vacancies. And so it depends a lot on the campus culture and whether people want to go to those specific schools. A lot of the times it's some of the poorer schools that are harder to deal with in whatever different ways that struggle the most to find teachers
1: um let's get uh nancy on the phone if we could but before we do that i just wanted to go back to that number you mentioned uh, jeff at the start of our conversation here a thousand teacher shortages in hillsborough county i mean that's pretty staggering i wonder just kind of tracking it year to year how how does that look compared to say last year
5: they're fairly similar uh they're not doing that great in hillsborough hillsborough's got a whole host of other issues that they're dealing with um, politically, they have a new superintendent and a whole new staff coming in. And so the whole district seems to be up in the air on uh, and, and a whole number of fronts. And so they they have some issues that others don't necessarily have.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, Nancy uh, calling in, I believe, from Deland. Nancy, you're on the air.
3: Hi, uh, I'm in Volusia County. Um, yep. I had just come in from talking with a neighbor who has three daughters, um, one of whom is a teacher, has been a teacher for quite some time, loves teaching, and is leaving the state because mm-hmm. of the policies uh, that DeSantis has put in place and and the restrictions that are now being put on teachers' uh, She has always felt like the pay was not adequate, but she loves her job, and teachers who love teaching um, uh, oftentimes feel that way. But I have have a cousin who has retired from teaching. She taught Mm -hmm. all her life. She said in the state of Florida, she would not recommend if any young person said they were going into teaching. She said, "I wouldn't do it, and huh. uh, if, or at least not in the state of Florida, as things stand now." So the the feelings are pretty raw, and right. the, um, there's no there's no real compl- uh, compromise. It seems, mm. uh, and teachers are losing uh, so much. Is is outside of the the realm of teaching that is affecting right. their lives
1: Nancy th- so thank you so much for your call uh, yeah hitting on some points there Kate if I could bring you back into this conversation I mean uh what are you hearing from about you know where teachers are going and and sort of why they're going the caller mentioned the point about teachers kind of leaving the state and some comments from veteran teachers there as well what are you hearing
4: Yeah, I'm hearing a number of different things. You know, as as Jeff said, there are a lot of different factors that teachers are considering, you know, in their personal lives, and their professional lives. Um, You know, it could be where their family is, trying to get closer to family. It could be about the cost of living and the increases we're seeing, um, you know, with homeowners insurance, for instance. Um, Others are, you know, trying to stay within the same district, staying within education, but leaving a classroom teaching position because they feel that the pressures of, of that role are too much. Um, and others are leaving education entirely, um, you know, whether it's to work in hospitality or uh, you know as a flight attendant, there are any number of different ways that, that teachers are kind of parlaying their skills um, into other industries.
0: You can call us at 305-995-1800. Want to go to Chris calling from Orlando. Chris, thanks for calling the Florida Roundup. You're on.
7: Uh, hi. Good, good afternoon. Uh, yeah, I was just going to call and contribute. Uh, this this, this topic pretty close to our heart. My wife has been a high school counselor for uh, this, going into her 19th year now. And uh, obviously as a counselor, there are um, oftentimes topics that Come
0: up sh- chris i th- i think I think I think we lost you um so sorry I wanted to hear the end of that uh, the end of that thought um chris are you are you back? I'm told you' you might be back
7: uh, I didn't think I was gone. I'm sorry <laughs> please continue um yeah I was I was caught. Called-
0: uh, I'm sorry. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to move on. Uh, Jeff, I I want to bring you back into this briefly. Um, on on the flip side of this, um, policies aside, the the Santa's administration points to the fact that they have raised teacher pay. Um, it 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 has been a pretty large pay. The 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 biggest pay increase for teachers in the state, and they point to that as them doing something about it. Um, has have those raises kept up with the cost of living here?
5: Well, no. Uh, We look at what's going on in just the Tampa area where you're talking about like a 7.3% cost of living increase and everything's really expensive and like you're hearing down in the Keys with housing so expensive that people can't even find any and and teachers are taking jobs over the summer, second jobs, they they can't necessarily afford that And, and The the state money that's going towards raises, until very recently, was mostly going towards the lowest levels of teachers and not the veteran teachers at all, which was a very big point of contention for teachers who've been around for a long time without getting raises. So there was a lot of compression in the salary schedules as well.
0: Right. So recruitment, but not so much retention. Um, We're going to leave this part of the conversation here. We've been talking with Kate Payne, who covers education for WLRN. Kate, thanks for joining. Thanks. And Jeff Solacek, education reporter for the Tampa Bay Times, will stay with us in the next segment. Coming up after the break in the Florida Roundup, Florida approves education materials from the conservative nonprofit media company Prager University. You're listening to the Florida Roundup from Florida Public
1: Media. Welcome back to the Florida Roundup. I'm Matthew Petty in Tampa.
0: And I'm Danny Rivero in Miami. The Florida Department of Education has approved education materials from a conservative nonprofit company, PragerU. The supplemental teaching materials include videos, cartoons, and shows that promote conservative values. The teaching materials are optional for school districts, but the decision to approve them is raising concerns from educators.
1: The nonprofit's founder, radio host Dennis Prager, told a Moms for Liberty conference over the summer that it's fair to say Prager, you indoctrinates children. Yet Governor DeSantis has repeatedly said Florida schools should be places for education, not indoctrination, as his administration takes aim at what he calls woke ideology. Well, the move follows a string of controversial changes to public education in Florida, from guidelines about restroom use to new standards for teaching African-American history. I talked
0: with Melissa St- Streit
1: from who is the CEO of
0: PragerU. And I talked to her yesterday about its educational materials. Ever since this announcement came out, there has been a pretty broad uproar in Florida about the state giving PragerU the thumbs up. A few Florida districts have stated that they do not plan to share the materials in the classroom, even if the state has given it the green light. Have any school districts you're aware of, said or indicated to you that they will be showing these materials?
8: We do know that many schools are gonna be using our materials, but we believe in education choice. We believe that really the school districts and the school boards need to listen to their own constituencies and their own communities. And given that we have such a large audience, we have a large community of people all over Florida and all over the country. And what I foresee is gonna happen is that parents are gonna go to the schools and say, hey, why not, why not incorporate some of PragerU's lesson plans into the curriculum. We just say that parents and and school boards need to have these kinds of conversations and make their own decisions.
0: Florida state law now says very clearly that classrooms are not a place for indoctrination. Last month, PragerU founder Dennis Prager acknowledged that PragerU is in what he called the mind-changing business, and he asked, what might be a rhetorical question, but that is, what is wrong about our indoctrination? Speaking of Prager, you, I'm wondering, what is your response to that question?
8: We are in the mind changing business. And, you know, let me ask you and your, and your listeners if I told you that our job is to inculcate uh, the love of learning, to inculcate the love of country, to inculcate morality and do good is that something that would bother our listeners and so what is the difference really if it you know some of it is is almost semantic right to me when it comes to indoctrination the word indoctrination of teaching a one-sided uh, ideology and not allowing not allowing another perspective which is really what we've been seeing over the last few years in in America's schools that is the problem, when you have a one-sided indoctrination.
0: Speaking of that, um, just something I noticed, because I because I did watch many Prager U videos before this, many videos contain something along the lines of we're never told this in reference to complicated history of something like slavery or immigration policy. It is a little bit of a strange thing to, to hear in an educational video, just because it leaves me wondering if the primary purpose of the videos is teaching, or is it pushing back on narratives that might be happening elsewhere?
8: Yeah, I don't know how familiar you are with the current way of how most American history textbooks are written, but they're really uh, based on much of Howard Zinn's writing. Essentially, his whole idea was to revise the way Americans learn history. And so we're, what we're dealing with right now is undoing the damage of what the type of material that those who followed Howard Zinn uh, has turned into America's you know, education uh, of American history. You ask yourself, why, why are we raising a nation that doesn't want to defend itself? Why are we raising a nation that is constantly saying that America is a horrible place, that is racist? Is that really a good thing for our children? do you think China and Russia are teaching their kids to to hate their countries and let, I, I want to emphasize I don't think that America is perfect today and I don't think it was perfect yesterday we have a lot of problems with uh, in America today and we have many blemishes in American history I'm not saying not to teach those blemishes I am saying we do need to teach slavery We do need to teach that there was terrible anti-Semitism. We do need to teach that there were problems in America, but it it is not the only thing that we need to teach. We also need to teach that Western civilization developed America into one of the most, I would argue, the most prosperous society on planet Earth. We want our kids to know that too. We want them to appreciate the things that have made America great.
0: And just for our listeners, Marissa is referring to Howard Zinn, the author of A People's History of the United States. Marissa, following up on what you were saying, it, it sounds like what you're saying is you're hoping the Prager U materials used in the classroom will serve as somewhat of a counterbalance to other things that are being taught?
8: I think that ultimately, when teachers decide how they're, they're, they're going to bring our lessons into their classrooms, they're going to have to make their own decision.
1: And that was Melissa Streit, CEO of Preg Use, talking with my colleague uh, Danny Rivero there last night. Well, joining us now to talk about this more is Ana Ceballos with the Miami Herald, Tampa Bay Times, Tallahassee Bureau. She's been covering the story. And we also welcome back Tampa Bay Times education reporter Jeff Solacek. You can join the conversation too. 305-995-1800 is the number to hear. What do you think about these new materials being approved for supplemental use in Florida classrooms? 305-995-1800. Send us a tweet. We're at Florida Roundup. Anna, thanks for joining us. And I wanted to start with you and ask if you could just kind of explain for our listeners briefly what this educational material is and who, who is it really aimed at?
9: Hi, uh, yes. Um. So what we found is that most of this content is really um, geared toward young children and high school students. Um. And it's really nothing. It's like normal videos that you would see on YouTube pop up with, you know, colorful animation, like really emotive music, uh, some child characters who go on adventures, time traveling, um, and they're really short and convenient to watch. And so when you go and, and look at this, you know, you'll see High profile conservative personalities like um, Candace Owens or um, Will Witt, who is the founder of a conservative out- outlet here in uh, Florida called the Florida Standard, just narrating cartoons or five minute video history lessons and uh, story time hours for young children, including a ch- children's book called Auto Tales. Auto-tales that follows like a dog through the adventures of you know visiting places like the white house or you know specific monuments in the country and yeah. um, so it's really just a really short cartoonish videos that are really branded to kids and that have lessons that share pretty pro-american type of message that is aligned pretty much with conservative talking points that you see in mainstream politics or conservative media
1: Prager U is not an accredited educational institution, Anna. So, so what do we know about how this organization's content got approved by the Board of Education?
9: So the process by which it was approved remains a little bit of um, uh, unknown. What we do know, though, is that in July 5th, um, PragerU content was officially approved by the Florida Department of Education. We had the opportunity to also interview the CEO Prager PragerU and she was, who was interviewed for the show earlier. And she did tell me last week that the conversation started over the summer, mm-hmm. but it still remains unclear as to what channels it went through because the Florida Department of Education told me that they did not submit a bid for consideration for the 2023-2024 school year, which is about to start. So it's really unclear as to what the process what process they followed to get the content approval. They only said that they had mutual friends in common. Uh, They wouldn't say who those mutual friends were um, and how they came about into the radar of the governor, the the same administration and the Florida Department of Education. They did say though that, you know, they have become aware that, for example, the governor shows his kids um those these videos and through mutual Mm. friends they knew that the content was i guess of the liking of the administration
1: i wonder too i mean dennis prager is a fairly influential force in conservative politics and you know many of governor DeSantis' more polarizing policies have been rolled out over the last few years as his presidential campaign took shape What is your sense, Anna, of the politics around the Department of Education approving this content and I guess the timing of it as well?
9: Right. The timing is kind of coming as it, it, you know, it almost seems like a snowball of policies that are coming out of the Department of Education as of late. Um, At least it's making a lot of headlines, even if it's a minority, right, of the policies that are being approved, but they're just getting so much attention that even the entire country seems to be talking about um, all these decisions. And you know this this nonprofit started in 2009 so it's been out there the only thing is that the timing seems to be now where DeSantis is prioritizing the fight on quote unquote woke and making sure that um you know that the education uh, schools in Florida are not pers- not introducing any instruction that would, mm-hmm. would persuade students to believe a certain quote-unquote partisan narrative but what we're seeing is that a lot of the things that the department of education has been approving seem to be in alignment with the views of the governor in a way that critics now say well who's indoctrinating whom?" right um mm-hmm. and i think that that's kind of the disconnect between what the state law says you know pretty clearly like we state instructions should not be indoctrinating students or persuading students to believe any viewpoint and so the question becomes like what are we like what what is this content accomplishing then
0: you can call us at 305-995-1800 i want to go to the phones Elise in tallahassee you're you're on
6: uh yes hi um i uh, i i i teach in leon county florida or i have taught full-time i'm not teaching full-time at the moment um but you know in regards to the curriculum i mean even if you just look at the you know the website for prager u (laughs) if it's visual i guess if a picture is worth a thousand words what you see is a a young white male at the top of a a little mountain holding a you know giant american flag and then Beneath him, you have, like, you know, a white female, a black female, a black male. I mean, it's just really, uh, it's really concerning. And I have a background in history, the Holocaust, and this whole direction that this governor has been taking our state, uh, you know, this last couple of years has been concerning to me for some time because it just really reminds me a lot of, you know, the indoctrination that happened, um, you know, prior to World War II and Nazi Germany. And that's what I see happening, and it's very concerning. And, and I won't teach history or social sciences for that reason, because I don't want to be in that
3: position.
0: Thank you so much, Elise. We appreciate the call. You're listening to the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. Jeff, I want to bring you back into this, reporter with the Tampa Bay Times. Um, PragerU materials that were just approved for use in Florida, they are optional. Um, CEO Melissa Streit told us that many school districts will be using our materials. Do we have a sense of how many school districts might end up using them? Have any said that they
5: will be using them? I have not heard of any that have said they will be. And in fact, I've heard of a handful who have said they will not be using them and they will not consider them unless they're submitted an official bid requesting for review.
0: And so, so Jeff, we we've heard a lot about parental rights in education in Florida over the last couple of years. Um, what does the introduction of this material, you know, potentially be, being used in the classrooms, wh- what does it mean for parents, and how how does that fit into the debate that's been going on about what books are allowed in school libraries and in, you know, and and bookshelves in classrooms?
5: Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because there's that group, Florida Freedom to Read, and. You know they've been fighting to keep books in schools and going through processes to challenge things so that all parents have a voice they have actually gone on their websites and started posting opt-out forms saying don't like prager u make sure that if your school brings it in that you fill out this opt-out form saying you don't want this in your class you don't want your child presented with this information so the parental viewpoints are out there and it's just going to come down to whether you know, one side is listened to or another.
0: Right. And we do know many parents in Florida are in support of, of, of this, uh, these materials. Oh, absolutely.
5: There, there are many in favor, but there are a lot of people who are still fighting, like you said, over books and other materials. And this is just another area where I think you're going to find that people are going to debate this pretty hotly.
0: Want to go back to the phones. Now you can call us at 305-995-1800. We have Terry calling from St. St. Petersburg. Terry, thanks for calling. You're on.
7: Hi, good afternoon. I just was listening to the show and listening to the PragerU uh, official and, it, and realizing that her whole reason for being, her whole argument is predicated on the assumption or the belief that American public schools are teaching students to hate America. That was her. Those were her words, and that is patently false. There is no way that teaching in uh, passing the problems in the country that still exist is teaching people to hate America. Yes, we are the great American experiment with democracy, where the Arguably, the, the greatest, most pro- prosperous country in the world, in many ways, based on our system of government and uh, our capitalist society. Th- Problems, maybe. Okay. Th- so th- thank, th- thank you, thank
0: s- you, thank you so much for the call, Terry. Um, on so, well, uh, before we're out, I, I want you to bring you back in. Um, do you have anything to follow up with with Terry I mean what what have the critics of this th- this curriculum said I mean a lot of them echo what Terry's saying let these implications about what's being taught in the classroom is not true
9: yeah I actually had an interesting conversation with a researcher at Kansas State University a few years ago she actually watched all these videos and to do a case study pretty much on the content and after doing that, her takeaway was, you know, that there is a very strong agenda and that the that the agenda is usually an us versus them, meaning, you know, um, the, the pro-American conservatives versus immoral leftists, so in quote unquote. And it seems to be much of what is driving a lot of the debate here in education. Right.
0: And um, I, I, I know, Sorry, we're going to have to to leave the conversation there. We've been speaking with <laughs> Ana Ceballos with the Miami Herald, Tampa Bay Times, Tallahassee Bureau. Jeff Solacek with the Tampa Bay Times will stick with us in the next segment. After the break, thousands of parents are applying for vouchers to send their kids to private schools after a massive expansion of the program. You're listening to the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. Welcome back to the Florida Roundup. I'm Danny Rivero in Miami.
1: And I'm Matthew Petty in Tampa. Well, back in March, Governor DeSantis signed a major expansion of school vouchers into law. School choice advocates hailed the move as empowering parents to pick the education they want for their children. But critics worry about the price tag. Estimates for the Family Empowerment Scholarship, as it's called, are in the billions. Step Up for Students, the organization that
0: administers state scholarships, anticipates tens of thousands of more applications for the vouchers, which can be used to pay for private school, homeschooling, and other options. So, who's taking advantage of the vouchers, and what impact could it have on the funding
1: for public education? Well, Jeff Solacek, education reporter for the Tampa Bay Times, is back with us, and we also welcome to the program Doug Tuthill, president of Step Up for Students, want to hear your questions and comments as well Uh, what are your thoughts about florida's voucher program maybe you're one of the thousands of parents who has signed up to send your child to a private school or for other reasons give us a call 305-995-1800 that's 305-995-1800 you can also send us a tweet we are at florida roundup doug tuthill uh talk us through this how many applications have you received so far and how does it compare to last year
2: Well, last year, we served about 250,000 students. Uh, This year, I'm anticipating about 350,000. So we'll we'll grow about 100,000 students this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Applications and
1: assistance.
2: i sorry, I was going to say, where where are you at so far? Um, As of today, we've approved about 365,000 applications. Now, just because a family has an approved scholarship doesn't necessarily mean they use it. One okay. of the things I've been telling folks is that it takes a while for supply to catch up with demand. And so schools can't, private schools can't, you know, magically open up new seats overnight. So I think you're going to find it's going to take a couple of years before the supply side in private schools and in homeschool communities catch up in order to deal with the full uh, implications of, of HP1.
1: I could, so, just to clarify, when you say you anticipate serving uh, 350,000 students this year, whereas last year it was 250,000, you're saying there may be more people who apply and approve for those scholarships, but so they're just not going to be able to use them necessarily.
2: Yeah, I, I anticipate that we'll probably end up approving probably 425 to 450,000. Hmm. Um, but it's going to take a while for people to be able to find the right fit for their kid. And so I think it'll take a couple of years for more seats to open up in private schools, more homeschool communities to get organized, to handle more kids. So I think you're going to find probably, you know, 50 to 75,000 at least of the families who get a scholarship don't necessarily use it this year, but maybe perhaps in future years they will.
1: I mean, so that's a big increase on last year. How are you coping with the surge in applications? Are you
2: keeping up with it all? Oh, we're very, very busy. Uh, we've added um, over a hundred folks to help us deal with call center questions. Um, so yeah, it's been very, very intense, but we're very excited. You know, the families are very excited because it's a chance to try to find a better fit for their kids. So it's just a very exciting time. You know, I, I started teaching in Florida in 1977, so I've been around a while. And I don't know that I've ever seen an opening of the school year quite this exciting. Uh, families are really excited to, to take a look at all the options out there. Not just our program, but more magnet schools, charter schools, virtual schools. Florida is really lucky because we have so many options for parents. It really is a state where families are moving in from out of state because they know there's so many options for their kids. So I'm just really pleased uh, for the families. And I'm also pleased for teachers. You know, I taught in the state for a long time. I was president of two teachers unions, and I'm seeing lots of teachers excited about the chance to start their own schools, start their own mini schools, Hmm. start their own micro schools. So you're seeing a lot of innovation on the on the teacher side, on the, on the supply side, as well as a lot of excitement on the demand side from parents.
1: Let's get a call in here. The number is 305-995-1800. If you have some thoughts about the school voucher expansion, uh, maybe in personal experience with it, but uh, let's go to Shelley, who is calling in from St. Petersburg. Shelley, you're on the air.
6: Hi, thank you. Um, I. It is my understanding that the vouchers for the School of your choice. Mm-hmm. You Do not pay one hundred percent of the tuition for the private school. So, if the school of my choice for my child would be a twenty thousand dollar a year tuition, the voucher is not going to cover twenty thousand. It's going to cover seven thousand to nine thousand somewhere in that neighborhood. Is that correct? And if so. <laughs> The wealthy parents who are already sending their children to these schools could take advantage of the voucher and basically get $7,500 from the state where a hmm. low-income family is still not going to be able to afford the difference between the amount of the voucher and the amount of the tuition so they do not have school choice.
1: Shelley, thank you so much for your call, uh, Doug. So, what about that? I mean, just just kind of clarify for us what the uh, the the amount that parents can apply for. Like, how much would they get from the
2: voucher, and you know, what would it cover? Well, first of all, we have about twenty-two years worth of experience. It's not like the program started yesterday. Um, hmm. The expansion in the spring was a was an expansion, but like I said, we've been giving uh, scholarships to low-income families. Um, since the law passed, the first law passed in 2001. So we have um, over 22 years worth of experience on the very assertion that Shelly made. And the good news is that um, uh, she's incorrect. It turns out that there's a lot of diversity in the private school uh, community in Florida. And there are a lot of schools in which the tuition and fees uh, this year, it's gonna be average about Hmm. $7,700. It depends on what grade level you're in and also depends on the cost of living of the county. But uh, the reason we're growing so dramatically is because there are lots of schools that do allow uh, these families to be able to afford their schools at, at $7,700. There's right. also a lot of schools that are more high end that have their own scholarship programs. I have a friend that, who runs Admiral Farragut in St. Pete. Um, it's about $25,000, $26,000 a year there. But his his school actually takes about 15 to 20 scholarship kids every year because they want to have a nice, diverse uh, background in, in their schools. Um, the average family income in our program historically has been about $40,000 a year. I don't think that's going to change much for the first couple of years. If you're wealthy, you're able to afford a very affluent house in a very affluent community, and you actually like your, your neighborhood school. It's a school that's serving primarily uh, wealthy families, and so I'm not sure that a lot of families who, are in, who spend a lot of money, if you spend a million dollars to buy a house because you want the school in that neighborhood, you're probably not going to move. So. We're primarily seeing continued middle class and low income uh, families are the ones that are primarily using the scholarship based on the data we have today.
0: You're listening to the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. Um, Jeff Solacek, reporter with the Tampa Bay Times, want to bring you into this. Um, so some of the pushback when this was being proposed and when it was passing through the legislature was that this is somewhat of a some zero sum game where more money for vouchers equals less money for public schools is is that the case as this program really expands and takes off right now
5: it's kind of hard to tell in some ways because school districts are still trying to assess exactly how many students they might be losing as a result of this and how to how the money will flow through them the the budget cycle has been changed so that there's a lot more money that's coming through the state funding program that's set aside specifically for vouchers. So it looks like there's a lot more money in there, but it's also just flowing through. So whether the the legislature also set aside 400 some odd million dollars for school districts that see that they are losing funding as a result of the vouchers and the students leaving. So Everything is still kind of in flux as everybody's developing their budgets, and it's kind of early to tell whether it's really going to be a big problem or not. I know several school districts were very much wanting there to be like a line item that says this is for the vouchers, so that way they at least know how they can plan, and that may still be something that's working through the system.
0: And Doug, Todd Hill, I want to come back to you. You mentioned the the average household income for for people that are applying for these vouchers is somewhere around $40,000. But there is technically not an income cap, is that right? I mean, have you seen very wealthy families take advantage of this, you know, what they would have been paying out of pocket now they're getting essentially a
2: subsidy? The uh, the majority of the applications uh, that we're receiving today are, are basically the same kind of demographic that we've seen historically. There hasn't been a big influx of of lots of wealthy people. Um, Like I said before, um, a lot of people in Florida who have have good money, who are able to buy a house in a very affluent neighborhood, and they bought a house because of that school in that neighborhood. There are affluent families in upscale private schools. A lot of those private schools don't take the scholarships. Um, And so um, most of the schools that take the scholarships are, are working class schools, schools that serve lower income families, I do think, like I said before, over the next couple of years, you eventually will see um, more of the upscale schools start to take more of the scholarships. I think it's gonna take a couple of years for, for all that to play out. The other thing I would say about money is obviously um, the money follows the child. So if a child leaves the Hillsborough School District and goes to a private school, then eventually that Hillsborough School District no longer gets paid for that for that student. That's also true if the child you know, moves for other, other reasons, et cetera. The good news for the taxpayers is, um, as Jeff knows, it costs us about uh, $15,000 to $16,000 a year for the taxpayers to educate a child in a district school. And as I mentioned earlier, the average scholarship this year is about $7,700. And 7700 is about half of, of what it costs to, to educate a child in a district school. And so from a taxpayer's perspective and a budget perspective, we're saving a lot of money for the state, and hopefully that state uses that money to reinvest in more kids in the district schools.
0: And Jeff, I want to bring you back in. Um, we only have a, a few more seconds to go, but How much money is the state of Florida putting towards this voucher program this year? And how does that tally with the estimated costs?
2: Well,
5: it's about supposed to be two point seven billion dollars with another four hundred and some odd million dollars set aside for for making school districts whole if they're starting to see trouble with their budgets. And as far as the numbers are going right now, I'm I'm hearing that it's supposed to be within budget. Doug would probably know the answer to that more.
2: Yeah, I agree with Jeff. I don't think there's going to be a budget problem. I think the money um, that was allocated is going to be sufficient to cover everything. So I agree with Jeff.
0: Thank you. Thank you both. Um, We're going to leave the conversation there. We've been speaking with Jeff Solacek throughout the hour, education reporter for the Tampa Bay Times. And also this segment, we were talking with Doug Tuthill, president of Step Up for Students. Jeff, Doug, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks Thanks for inviting us.
1: And that's our program for today. The Florida Roundup is produced by WJCT Public Media in Jacksonville and WLRN Public Media in Miami. Heather the chats and Bridget O'Brien are our producers.
0: WLRN's vice president of radio and our technical director is Peter Mayers. Engineering help from Doug Peterson, Charles Michaels, and Jackson Harp. Richard Ives answers the phones. Our theme music is provided by Miami jazz guitarist Aaron Libos at AaronLibos.com. I'm Danny Rivero.
1: And I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for calling in and listening. Have a great weekend, everyone.